Suppose I told you about a medicine that could give you a stronger immune system, fewer aches and pains, improved sleep, lower blood pressure, make your exercise more effective, and help you recover from any coronary events that might happen to you. What if I could offer you that medicine? <laughs> so I see at least one hand. All right. What if not only, not only affecting your body, this medicine made you more positive, it made you more awake and aware, it made you more optimistic, and it gave you an enhanced mood. It, it, you experienced more pleasure from the same events. Um, what if it improved your communications and gave you more empathy and, and strengthened your relationships, made you more likable and more forgiving? Would you like that medicine? I know you're probably thinking he needs the little disinformation box underneath that uh, says, you know, don't pay attention to those quacks. Um, so would you, would you like that medicine? I mean, it sounds too good to be true, but would you, would you like that medicine? Well, it turns out there actually is such a medicine, but it's not a drug. It is a practice. It is the practice of gratitude. And, um, uh, you know, everything on the internet is true, so Google it if you don't believe me. This, the, all those, all those benefits come from the practice of gratitude. And so, um, uh, it is worth, it is worth doing. Um, and it's also for Christians, it's something that's commanded for us, as we saw in some of our earlier, uh, passages, uh, today. Um, uh, giving thanks in all circumstances and so forth. So, so gratitude is a good practice that produces good results and it's also something that Christians are called to do. I have not always been the most attentive Christian. I don't always do the things I'm called to do. But for the last couple of years, I've been keeping a prayer journal. And I'm not a journaler. Some of you maybe journal, but I don't. My prayer journal has five lines. And so uh, that's all I can write. And so, um, so I would, I could do that, right? Anybody can write five lines in a journal at night, right? So I do that. But for the past year or so, I have been as a as a practice. I have been um, beginning with thanks. So I stop before I before I list all the things that I want. Um, I take a moment and try to thank God for the things that I've been given. And so I've, I've made that a practice now for the last couple of years. And so far, it's averaging about one line a night. But you know, who knows? Maybe someday it'll be five lines, and I won't have room for any prayers or something. So um, in any any requests. So I'm working on that. I'm trying to get better at practicing gratitude. And in our reading today, Jesus uh, talks about gratitude. He, he teaches us something about um, how we can be grateful people, particularly when we don't know what to be grateful for, or we don't know who to be grateful to. So he teaches us about gratitude when when things just happen. And so, so um, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this reading and see how we can be grateful. Not just, I mean, you should always be grateful if somebody does something nice for you. Be grateful to them, but but what do you do when it's not clear exactly who you should thank or how what would be the right way to thank them? So let's let's look at our reading today, um, and it begins. Um, we're looking at uh, chapter seventeen of Luke's gospel, um, and as as we read here, we see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's the place we've been for the last couple of weeks. Jesus is traveling from Galilee in the north to uh, Jerusalem in the south. 
And we read that Jesus is traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So what does that mean? Well, if you picture the Pacific Northwest, you start with, you know, uh, Washington State and then Oregon and then California, right? Northern California. Imagine if it, if instead of going between Galilee and Jerusalem, Jesus is traveling from Seattle to um, San Francisco, right? So in order to get to San Francisco, he's got to pass through Oregon. Except he doesn't pass through Oregon because people didn't pass through Oregon. Instead, they would take a long route to the east, go down the the, the Jordan River Valley, and then come back um, to the to the west when they got to California. Imagine if you skipped Oregon, you just went all the way around Oregon. That's basically what he's doing. So he's traveling along the border between Samaria and and Galilee. So Jesus is traveling along the border, and <clears throat> as he enters a village. Ten men with skin diseases approached him. So ten men with skin diseases. I'm going to say this because I won't be able to stop myself. I'm going to call them lepers, okay? That's that's the language, the old language you find in older translations. Um, nowadays, there's usually a footnote someplace that says something about not Hansen's disease, which is what we call leprosy. So it's it's a different disease, and so... Um, uh, it's just it's just too too stuck in my head. I'm going to try and say skin disease, but if I say leper, then or or person with leprosy, you know what I mean. So, so he comes across these, or Jesus is entering a village, and these ten men um, with skin diseases they approach him, and um, they they approach him there because they can't go into the village. They're basically stationed themselves outside the village. And they're going to intercept him on his way in because they're not allowed in. They have this skin, skin disease, and that was one of the one of the features of it is that you were excluded from society. So they catch him on their way on his way in, and they shout at him, keeping their distance from him. They raise their voices. They they shout at him because again they aren't allowed to come near him, even though he's not in the city yet. So they are shouting at him uh, because they can't come close. Imagine you know the the social distancing, but but add you know maybe. Uh, 30 or 40 feet instead of six. So, so something like that. So they are shouting at him from a distance. And what do they shout? They say, Jesus master, show us mercy. Jesus master, show us mercy. So what do they mean by that? Well, what I learned this week in my studies is that that was the first century equivalent of anything helps God bless. You know, you see that on a cardboard sign someplace that this is the way you ask, brother, can you spare a dime? That was, that was the, the cultural way that people would ask. On the other hand, they know his name. They know he's Jesus. And so maybe they're not just saying, Hey, can you spare a dime? Maybe they're saying, Hey, Jesus, I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories. I heard what happened that Luke told us about in chapter five. I've heard that you healed a leper. I heard Jesus that you could actually heal a leper. So what 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 would they be referring to if that's what they're saying? Well, back in chapter 5 it, we read Jesus was in one of the towns where there was a man there was also a man covered with a skin disease. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged, "Lord, if you want, you can make me clean." So he fell on his face, he he broke the rules. He came right up to Jesus, fell on his face and said, "If you want, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I do want to be clean. And instantly the skin disease left him. So maybe because they know the name Jesus, maybe they've heard about him. Maybe they know, hey, wait a minute. This is the same guy who has 
who has healed a leper. And that would have given them hope. It would have given them hope that, that would otherwise not have been possible because, because lepers weren't healed. People with this skin disease were not healed. The, the last time anybody that there's, there's a record of anybody being healed with this, with this illness was 800 years ago. And it happened to a foreigner named, um, Naaman. Jesus refers to him back in chapter four. He's talking to some people and he says, there are many people with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. That's the only record in the whole uh, Hebrew scriptures of anybody being healed from leprosy. So you can imagine 800 years have gone by and it would be very easy if you're, if you have, like, again, I told you, I'm going to keep calling it leprosy. If you've got this skin disease, then you would say, well, you know, in the past, God might have done that, but it must have been a special occasion. There must have been something about that guy. Uh, God is going to heal him, but he's out of that business now. God doesn't heal people with leprosy anymore. That's, that's for the past. That's back in Bible times. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. So they might have been thinking that. And then Jesus shows up and, well, wait a minute, now I've got to rethink that. I had a category. I just assumed God didn't do that anymore. But now Jesus is making me think, well, maybe God does. And that's something that we can hold on to. That's something we can hold on to. The idea that even if it's been a long time, Jesus gives us the the possibility to entertain that maybe God will still act. Maybe God is able to act and wants to, that we can learn that from Jesus. It might have been 800 years since the last time somebody was healed from leprosy. But Jesus showed up and changed everything. Jesus can heal our illnesses. Jesus can do things that we wouldn't have guessed were possible. Things that we thought, well, I thought God didn't do that anymore. That was, that was Bible times. People, you know, People back then got healed. People back then had had situations occur that Jesus was able to help with. But that was back then. The whole idea of Jesus is back then might be right now. So we can assume that God can act and wants to. But for all that, Jesus doesn't do a repeat of chapter 5. In chapter 5, the guy says, if you want to, you can heal me. And he says, I do want to, and touches him and heals him. But that's not what Jesus does here. If they were hoping they would get a repeat of chapter 5, that's not what they get. Instead, Jesus sends them away. Jesus saw them. When Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. Jesus saw them. I mentioned this to the children. Jesus saw them. Have you ever looked at somebody with a skin condition? It's just one of those things that just, you know, it grosses us out. Right? I mean, you know, doesn't mean they're a bad person, but it means, uh, you know, yuck. Imagine looking at 10 of them and not just any old skin condition, you know. You should see a doctor about that irregular shaped mole or something. Um, you know, instead, instead Jesus is looking at 10 people with leprosy. Jesus looked at them. And you can imagine most people in that culture, most people today wouldn't look at them. We would kind of, you know, glance away and put some money in the bowl or something like that, but, but we wouldn't make eye contact. We wouldn't look them over. Jesus does. Jesus sees them. And maybe, 
Maybe that's why they obeyed him. They they do what he says. He he sends them to the priests. And maybe that's why. Maybe maybe they went because they heard about the story in chapter 5. They heard that Jesus was, you know, God is back in the healing leper business. Maybe that's why. But maybe they just said, this guy actually looked me over. You know, nobody, everybody looks away whenever whenever they, they give me money. They just, they don't even want to see me. But Jesus looked me over. And maybe that's why he's sending me to the priests. Because the priests weren't expected to heal anybody. All the priests were was was a, a quality control. They were they were the inspector. You would show up and say, am I healed or do I have this skin disease? And the priest would say yes or no. And if you didn't have it, then you offered a sacrifice. And that was the end of it. But the priest is not expected to heal anybody. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Maybe they're thinking, hey, that guy Jesus, he looked me over. And maybe he saw I was getting better. Let me go, let me go check this out. I'll, the priest will look me over and maybe I'll get better. Maybe I am getting better. So Jesus sees them and he directs them. And Jesus does the same for us. Jesus sees us and directs us. In fact, it is because he sees us that he's able to direct us. Jesus sees us. He sees, he sees the good and the bad. He sees he sees the, out, ex, the exterior, the outside that we show other people. And he sees what's on the inside too. He sees, he sees our potential. He sees what God put into us. And he sees all the reasons we haven't lived up to that. Jesus sees us. He sees us deeply. And because of that, he is able to direct us. And we are able to trust his direction. Jesus sees us. You know, the um, there's a spiritual song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. This is the idea that even when nobody else knows, your spouse, your your children, your parents, nobody understands you, nobody sees you, Jesus sees you. And so it's worth listening to what he directs. So, Jesus sends them to the priests, and for whatever reason, they go. <coughs> And as they left, they were cleaned. They were cleansed of this skin disease. And we don't know when. Did it happen just then? Did it happen, you know, as they're turning to walk away? Did it happen uh, uh, an hour later? Did it happen to them? (coughs) Pardon me. Did it happen to them when they were, you know, well on their way to the temple to, to see the priests? We don't know. They they went away, and as they were going, they got better. And we don't know how. And I think that may make this the most relatable miracle in the whole New Testament. Because so much of the things that we benefit from, so, so many of the ways that God blesses us, just happened. You know, some people have a dramatic um, story of their conversion. I don't. If somebody asks me my conversion story, I'll say, well, it was in 92, right? Sometime in 1992, I became a Christian, and I couldn't tell you to the month, because sometimes things just happen. Sometimes God just acts, and we don't know exactly how. They just happen. God causes good things to just happen. If you're expecting, you know, a tingly sensation and 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 
you know, the, the skin to change, you know, maybe it does, I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes God blesses us with things that just happen. That today's a little better than yesterday. Today, we don't struggle with that particular temptation the way we did yesterday. It just happens. Sometimes God causes good things to just happen. We can't always expect a, a, a gift card, you know. Hope you enjoy it, God. You know, don't, don't be holding on to the hope for that because you may not get one. God, I, I think a lot of us have this idea, you know, because we have churches and we praise God and we do things like that. They, we have this idea that God is desperate to get credit for everything he does. But I don't think that that's true. I don't see that in the scriptures. I don't see God being desperate for credit. The one thing I do see is God is very concerned if, if, if we assign credit to the wrong cause. But I don't think God cares as much about getting credit as, as um, knowing you're not going to say it was the lucky rabbit's foot. You know, he, he's okay if you just think it just happened. Compared to... You, he, you think it was because you rubbed your rabbit foot and that's how come the good thing happened. God is opposed to idolatry, but I don't think God is super concerned about getting credit except in that it keeps us from giving credit to the wrong thing. So, so while they're on their way, at some point, a day later, a week later, however long it took to walk to the, the temple, I mean, you know, they didn't, they couldn't fly. On their way to the temple, they got better. And one of them, when he saw he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. That tells us it was probably a while. You know, we don't know how long, but a little while. Because if, if the, everybody was still there, they hadn't left yet, they hadn't gotten out of the vicinity, they, would have, they maybe would have turned around too. Because he's praising God with a loud voice. So, he comes back. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. He was from Oregon. Everybody else is from Washington. And Jesus replies, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except for this foreigner. And Jesus says to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you. So, what do we do with this? This this story, I mean, it's a, it's a story and there's some little applications. You know, God sees you. God still acts. You can trust where Jesus directs you. But this story illustrates one of the problems with gratitude. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be grateful. Science is, is coming up with new new reasons that show, show just how good it is to, to be grateful. But... Being grateful is, is sometimes limited because we don't know how to express it. You know, how, how can I express my gratitude? Who do I even express my gratitude to? Especially when it's something that just happened. I'm on my way to show myself to the priest and somewhere along that journey, I got better. Right? How do I, how do I, how do I express my thanks for that? Do I go back to that Jesus guy? I don't know. I've got to figure this out. We have, we have a problem with gratitude. What do we do to express our gratitude? And who do we express it to? 
This is the problem with gratitude is is that if it's just kind of bottled up inside you, well, okay, that maybe it has some of those good effects, but um, not not to the extent it does if we actually express it. That the other nine, they they do something. I mean, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe they go to the temple, they see the priest, they offer the sacrifice, they go home, and all along the way they're telling people, look, I got better. I'm so happy that Jesus guy got me better, or God made me better, or whatever, right? Um, I, you know, whatever it is, they, they may be telling people all along the way how grateful they are, but we don't know that. The only one we know was able to express his gratitude was this Samaritan. He went back to Jesus, and we read, one of them returned and praised God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He thanked Jesus. He found, he found someone to thank, and he figured out how to thank him. And Jesus says, you know, that, that he did the right thing. And this is the problem with gratitude. How do we do it? How do we express our gratitude? Because gratify, uh, gratitude is clarified when it's expressed. You know, if you just kind of have a vague feeling, I'm, I'm grateful. That's not as good as if you can say, I am grateful for this particular thing. You know, it's kind of like our prayers. Oftentimes we, we ask God very vague prayers, you know. I just did. Solve the Ukraine problem. I, I don't have any advice to give God about that, right? But it's sometimes the same way with our, with our, um, with our gratitude. It's like, uh, you know, I'm grateful, but it's, it's just kind of a vague feeling. It becomes clear when we actually try to express it. When we express our gratitude, then it's like, okay, well, that's what I'm grateful for. So, it is clarified. So we can do the same thing. These studies I referred to, they talk about things like how, how, um, if you, if you keep a journal, that's good. If you keep a journal of gratitude, that's a good thing because you're expressing it. But it's even better if you write a note. You tell somebody in a note, I'm grateful for this thing you did. And even better still is if you deliver the note and say, I want to talk to you about this because it's something that's important to me. If you express your gratitude, that has even better effects. The, the more you tra- translate it from being, I'm being grateful, to I'm doing thanksgiving, the more you can translate it from being to doing, the better. So this, this Samaritan does that. But he does something else because Luke tells us he's a Samaritan. And Jesus had a conversation with another Samaritan. In John's Gospel, we read about a woman that Jesus had a conversation with. And he was talking to her, and she said, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. I know this this always surprises people when I mention it, but in the Middle East, sometimes people disagree about religion. And and they did then. That you know, this is not a new thing. Um, that they sometimes disagreed about religion, and that was really the, the why people avoided Oregon, right? Why did they avoid S- Samaria? The reason was because they had a different understanding of who God was. They actually were, uh, from from a from my point of view, I would say that they were more or less Christian. I mean, they were more or less Jewish. Right, but the the paths had diverged. There was a split within them about six centuries before, and one of the things that happened is the Samaritans didn't worship in Jerusalem, and Jews did. the The Samaritans worshipped, as the woman says, on Mount Gerizim, and 
the the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And she refers to that. Um, our ancestors worship on Mount Gerizim, and yours don't. And Jesus responds, he says, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The language Jesus is using here is he's talking He's talking about temples. He's saying, why do you go to Jerusalem? Because that's where the temple is. That's where heaven meets earth. And the, the Samaritans had a different understanding of that God that, that their temple, their place of worship, the place where heaven met earth, for them, was Mount Gerizim. And Jesus is saying, there's a new place where heaven meets earth. Because God became human. The new temple is a person. It is Jesus. Jesus is the place where heaven touches earth. And he says, there is a new place to worship. You don't have to go to the right one. No one's going to check you at the door to make sure you've got the right credentials. Wait, you're not supposed to worship here. You're supposed to worship in the other place. No one's going to do that. Jesus says that there is a new temple, a new place where heaven meets earth, and everyone can enter this temple. Everyone can lift their prayers. You know, if 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 I give you $5, then you can thank me, right? But if something good just happens... Who do you think? Where do you go? Do you go to Jerusalem? Do you go to Mount Gerizim? The answer is, you direct your prayers through Jesus to God. That you can give your thanks to God for the things that just happen. Because Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the place where heaven meets earth. Christians should be the most grateful people on the planet. We should be. We have been saved through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are daily being conformed to his image. We're becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And we can access the temple. We can come before God wherever we are, whenever we are, whoever we are. Christians should be the most grateful people there are. And I confess I am not always, but I am... I am trying. I'm keeping a prayer journal. I'm practicing gratitude. I'm practicing. The thing about a practice is it requires practice. So, I'm practicing. This week, I had two root canals. <laughs> Let me tell you. So... Um, <laughs> So two root canals in the beginning of the, the uh, two temporary crowns, and um, when the uh, when the dentist uh, outlined his treatment plan, he said, "Does that sound like fun?" <laughs> I laughed and I said, "It sounds as much fun as two root canals," and and he laughed because he knew root canals aren't fun, and then he proceeded to prove it. <laughs> I spent three hours. I spent three hours on that chair. And they numbed me five times, okay? And they started work after the first. Okay, the other four, they numbed me because they found out they hadn't numbed me enough. So it was not the best root canal I've ever had, and root canals don't get very good, as you know. 
But I was grateful. I really was. When I was young, I had a I had the opposite problem. I didn't go to the dentist until until of course mid middle of Saturday morning. <laughs> Dentists are closed. No 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 luck there. And by the time I saw the dentist on Monday, I'd had really the worst pain in my life. And so I was grateful that I was able to go see a dentist within 24 hours. My tooth started bugging me, and um, I had I was in that chair getting numbed less than 24 hours later. I was grateful for that. I was, I was grateful that he was able to look at my jaw with an x-ray, or four or five x-rays, to figure out what exactly was going on in there so that he could, he could say, okay, I see what the problem is. You know, all I know is that your tooth is hurting until I can actually look inside and figure it out. And then he could say, all right, I see it. He used, he used x-rays too during the procedure to figure out how deep to go and things like that. So I'm grateful for x-rays. And I, I am so grateful for numbing. Because I found out four times what it's like when you don't have enough. So I am super grateful. And because I am intentionally practicing gratitude, I, I, told, I told them I was grateful. I, I, and, and it's true, I was. It beat the alternative. But that night I also wrote it in my prayer journal. I'm grateful because, you know, I don't know who to thank for x-rays. I don't know who to thank for, you know, whatever the... Something Cain was. So I made a practice. I practiced gratitude. You can practice gratitude too. It's good for what ails you. It's good for your mind. It's good for your body. And if you're a Christian, it's what Jesus teaches. And it's what Jesus made possible. We can thank not just people we know, not just people we see. We can thank God for the things that just happened. Let's pray. God, you are so loving. You condescend to care for people like us. We can never thank you enough for all you've done for us. But Lord, we pray that you would help us become more thankful, to exercise gratitude, to practice until we become truly grateful people. We ask these things in the name and for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.